you know, when I was in vet school, my dad had a heart attack. And so we did a lot of learning about heart disease and what happens when people have heart attacks. And that just spurred my interest. And I was like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. From the Texas Veterinary Medical Association in Austin, Texas, this is Veterinary Vitals, a show that features open and honest conversations with veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein, Media Coordinator for TVMA. Dr. Sarah Bordelon is a board-certified veterinary cardiologist, which makes her one of less than 400 in the world. She works at CVCA Cardiac Care for Pets in Austin, Texas, alongside two other veterinary cardiologists, one of whom is Dr. Katie Meyer, who appeared on the show in May. In this episode, Dr. Bordelon answers frequently asked questions like, what are the benefits of primary care veterinarians collaborating with board-certified veterinary cardiologists? And can you cure my pet? She also shares what people typically get wrong about veterinary cardiologists. You'll learn why she finds her career so rewarding, how she breaks the news to pet owners when their pets are diagnosed with a terminal cardiac condition, and what it's like practicing veterinary cardiology in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, the reason she chose to pursue veterinary cardiology was a personal one. It was close to her heart. Here she is. I've always had sort of an affinity for the sciences, so physics and my undergrad um, degrees in biochemistry. And so I love sort of the physics of the cardiac cycle and um, the electrophysical part of it. And then, you know, when I was in vet school, my dad had a heart attack. And so we did a lot of learning about heart disease and what happens when people have heart attacks. And that just spurred my interest. And I was like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. So yeah, it was fortuitous time. Luckily, he survived 30 years since then. He's done very well. (laughs) (laughs) But that was really the kind of nail in the like, yes, this is what you're doing um, for the rest of your life. So do you think if that hadn't happened that maybe you wouldn't have gone that path? You know, I, it was between cardiology and anesthesiology. So those were sort of my two loves because they're both very kind of physical science. This is how things work. Um, and so, I mean, it would have been a toss up, I think, as to whether I chose cardiology or anesthesiology. So what does your father think about your choice? He loves it. He loves to call me and tell me about all the medications he's on and how his doctor doesn't know what he's doing. And I'm sure the dogs get better care. Yeah. (laughs) So he really likes it. Um, And it is helpful. Like he needed a pacemaker later in life, like 20 years later. Um, And he was really confused by the way they presented it to him. And um, they wanted to put in a defibrillator, but he didn't understand that it could just function as a pacemaker. So I could walk him through all of that stuff. So he loves it. So it really shows the similarities between dogs and cats and humans. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, dogs and cats physiologically are different than people, but you know, how you put in a pacemaker and how you program a pacemaker, those are all going to be really similar. Um, And so, you know, and if you have an arrhythmia because you had a myocardial infarction, still the same process if you have an arrhythmia because you have dilated cardiomyopathy. So those are all things that are pretty cool. Wow. Okay. And so tell me why you find this career path rewarding. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, it's hard because I give a lot of bad news and people are like, man, you must be so depressed, but I'm not. 
because <laughs> I'm not, because that's part of the rewarding part, right? Is I can do that empathetically. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we can help you maintain quality of life. You know, for some patients, I can give them, you know, a definitive fix for their problem, like PDAs. So although I give a lot of bad news, I hope that I'm providing the client some support through that. And I feel like that's a really rewarding part of my job. So tell me, what do people usually get wrong about veterinary cardiologists? You know, that's an interesting question. I think that they think that we are not any or much different from their primary cares. So I think that a lot of people don't know what goes into becoming a specialist in general. So I think that's not unique to cardiology, but I think that's one of the things that, you know, we hear a lot. Oh, it had a murmur. My cardiologist was taking care of it. And I was like, oh, who? And they'll say their primary care veterinarian. And so I don't think they can separate in their minds, you know, someone who went further to do just that and the primary care veterinarian. So I think they struggle a little bit with understanding the differences because they think of veterinary medicine as a whole, right? We're just all veterinarians. Yeah. Yeah. So they have difficulty separating, I think, sometimes. Got it. Okay. And so you work for CVCA Cardiac Care for Pets. So tell me about this practice. I know it's in other states uh, aside from Texas too. Yeah. So we're in four states total. Um, so we're in Kentucky, uh, Maryland, Virginia, and Texas. Um, and we have, I believe, 14 locations. Um, and we have 19 doctors and eight residents. And in Texas, we have three board certified cardiologists. So, and they're, we're all in the Austin area. Yeah. And when I talked to Dr. Katie Meyer, she told me the number of veterinary cardiologists, I think in the world, and it is just such a small number. And I was blown away by that. I don't, I don't recall the exact number. I don't know if you do it. I don't know the number now because they're like increasing per year. Right. Yeah. Um, but we're somewhere around four to 500 in the world. So there's not a ton of us floating around out there. Yeah. So I wonder if that makes you more in demand because there's so few. We are. So we are a specialty that, um, you know, is often sought after because there are not that many of us. So, um, you know, it is, it is hard to find a cardiologist. They sometimes say cardiologists are unicorns. So <laughs> <laughs> you go into the forest and you just find one. Um, yeah. But yeah, so we are a specialty that isn't, um, you know, we don't have as many residencies programs, although those are increasing as more people come out. Um, mm -hmm. So they're just, we don't um, complete as many residencies per year as a lot of the specialties do. Right. I wanted to discuss the most common questions that you get from both pet owners and veterinarians. Um, and so I received some of those from you. Um, the first one is how do veterinary cardiologists collaborate with primary care veterinarians? Yeah, I mean, I think CBCA does that really uniquely um, in that we do a lot of collaborating with our primary care. So it's something that's really important to us because what we want to manage is cardiac disease. And then we want people who are um, able to and have the training to manage everything else to do that. Um, so we you know will request say hey go in for a recheck blood work in a week with your primary care and then we'll ask if they could send that over so we could look at the cardiac related stuff like is there azotemia since we started the heart medications and then we'll reach out to both the primary care veterinarian and the owner 
and say, hey, from a cardiac standpoint, here's how we would help you manage that. Um, so we try to keep helping them with the cardiac part of stuff mm -hmm. um, and then let them deal with all the other things that come with running blood work. Like, oh no, the ALKFOS is a thousand and there's protein in the urine and the thyroid's 22. And so, you know, that way it kind of, you know, we do, we help them manage the cardiac stuff long-term and then, you know, they can kind of get a better idea of what the patient's doing. Got it. So tell me, what are the benefits of seeing a board certified cardiologist? Yeah, so we, um, we're very specially trained to know sort of the subtle things, the subtle differences, and then of course the really complex diseases, right? So those things that just aren't common. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have four additional years of training, three only in cardiology. So we do a rotating internship and then we get three years of just cardiac training. Um, and so for us, what we can offer is that, you know, say that Labrador comes in and Labradors traditionally have a, if you just looked at them kind of on regular echo, they have a heart that is, would look weaker to the, to the naked eye, mm -hmm. but that's actually usually normal for them. So they have more of what's called a rotational contraction than a longitudinal contraction. And we see a lot of Labradors come in diagnosed with dilated cardiomyopathy when really, really they're just working dogs and they have a different type of contractility. Um, wow. So things like that, those kind of subtle breed differences, um, you know, knowing when you can use certain numbers, right? Like diagnosing pulmonary hypertension, but you can't always use the numbers that are set out, say if there's a fixed obstruction. Um, so those sorts of things are things that we've kind of seen come to us, maybe not looked at by a board certified cardiologist and been like, well, maybe you're actually gonna have this or well, addressing mm -hmm. it a different way. Yeah, so that sounds like you've had some patients come in and they've been diagnosed with something and then you um, diagnose it actually correctly, like they've been misdiagnosed. Yes. So we do see patients that are misdiagnosed. I mean, things like mitral valve disease, that's uncommon that that's a misdiagnosis, right? So a lot of people can, can define um, degenerative valve disease, but other things like those subtle differences in contractility or, you know, the true pulmonary hypertensions, or, you know, I had one patient that had a very distal stenosis of a pulmonary artery and it was diagnosed as pulmonary hypertension. Hmm. The problem wasn't that. So, um, so things like that, that are more complex, you know, that's really where we, um, where we are beneficial. And then the other thing is long-term management, right? So there's some, um, there was a study out not that long ago that said that co-managing um, a patient with heart disease of any kind um, the, with a primary care veterinarian and a board certified cardiologist, those patients lived 75% longer than patients who were not co-managed. Uh, so they had a significant improvement in outcome because, you know, cardiologists are like, well, let's tweak this or, you know, this medication might be causing that. Or so there are things that we can kind of pick out on um, that might help prolong longevity in life. So when you're able to make that correct diagnosis, that's the difference between life and death. Oftentimes, yes. Or like very expensive medications, right? So, you know, a Labrador that doesn't have dilated cardiomyopathy, but got started on a medication called Vetmedin. That medication is pretty pricey for a dog that needs, you know, a one 10 milligram tablet twice a day. So, you know, it can definitely, and in one patient that we had not that long ago, it was a life and death. So it was started on some medications and that actually made the patient do worse. And then once we really diagnosed the disease, 
and were able to start the correct medications after a couple of days in the hospital, that patient was able to go home and I just saw her for a six month recheck. So she survived. Um, but it, yes, it can be the difference between life and death for sure. Hmm. Yeah. Cause I could imagine, you know, if they're not diagnosed correctly, they could be going a really long time and they're not getting better. Um, which leads to one of the questions there of, um, what are the benefits of oral referral, uh, referrals for pets? Yeah, so early referral is really important. Um, so even now, you know, with our degenerative valve disease dogs or our heart murmur cats, in degenerative valve disease, we start medications well before they're symptomatic now. But that medication, you know, starting that medication or when to start that medication is really based on some pretty specific findings out of the study that said, hey, this works. Um, and so getting them in early lets us find that moment where we say, okay, now is the time that this medicine's likely to provide some benefit to you, get you on it, buy you another symptom-free year to whatever your time was gonna be to heart failure anyway. Um, so early referral is really important. And then in certain, you know, like congenital diseases or arrhythmic types of diseases, you know, getting in early with medications will definitely prolong survival. So early referral is really important. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, it's not a loud murmur or, you know, comes and goes those aren't things that make it less of an issue. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, it's just a subtle thing that we haven't been used to doing, which is early referral. Got it, okay. Why should someone choose CBCA cardiac care for pets? The way that we work with the clients and the primary care veterinarians is really unique. It takes a lot of effort to do that much follow-up. You know, we always follow up with patients sometimes two days after, sometimes a week after we start medications to, you know, how are they doing? Are they, you know, feeling well? Um, the way we work with veterinarians is really unique in that we want them to go back there and then we can help take off of their plate the cardiac stuff and make those kind of cardiac decisions for them. So they're not also having to deal with thyroid and a failing liver and what am I supposed to do with these heart medications? And yeah, uh, we can help them with that part of the, um, the story there. Um, while still keeping the client with them for things that, you know, are not cardiac in nature. Um, so I think that's really unique. The other unique thing is um, kind of what we were just talking about, which is the amount of cardiologists we have. So we're the largest group of cardiologists um, probably in the world um, all together that can collaborate with one another. And that's really useful if you have a unique case or just a question, hey, has anyone used this medication at this dose before? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I'm failing this medication and I want to know what other people have found to be useful. Um, so, you know, there are lots of ways that we help each other out on kind of a regular basis. Nice. Um, are there any other common questions that you receive? Hmm. What else do we get a lot? We do get a lot about, um, are you going to be able to cure my pet? So from owners, we get a lot of, you know, are you going to be able to cure the heart disease? Or I don't want to do surgery for heart disease in my dog or cat. Um, and, you know, surgery, we, really uncommon. So there are con some congenitals that we recommend surgical interventions for. That's probably the most common thing that we recommend surgery for. Um, but your standard older patient with acquired heart disease we're not gonna recommend surgery. 99% um, of the time, there is a guy who does mitral valve repair, but he lives in Japan and it's a lot of money. So a lot of people don't pick him up on that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, there was a, a second guy who lives in London, but that program's been um, suspended for some reason. We don't know why, but 
Um, okay. Some people choose it. Some people choose to do it, but that's not what we're going to recommend. We're going to give you medications that you can give at home, um, you know, that hopefully are going to improve the quality time that you have with your pet. So a lot of people think, oh, I don't want to come because you're just going to offer me surgery anyway, and I can't do that, or I don't want to do that. And um, so we get that a lot. Got it. Okay. So it sounds like we went through uh, all of the questions. Is there anything you'd like to share about your experience as a veterinary cardiologist on a more personal level? Um, any days that have been hard for you that when you go home, you're like, what happened today? <laughs> <laughs> that happens often enough in COVID, I think. Um, so yeah. I would say COVID has been a particularly rough time, I think for all veterinarians, right? We're all working extra hard with less staff. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's been hard on all of us. So the, the thing that, you know, I would say in the last six months, those are probably been some of our hardest days because normally um, in a CVCA appointment, the client is with you from start to finish. And we like that because we get to create a relationship. They get to meet us. They get to see the imaging. They're with their pet the entirety of the appointment. And so for us, that's been an enormous change to have to kind of do all this without the owner. Um, and I think it's harder for the owners too, because they don't know what's happening. And then they get a diagnosis that's maybe, you know, terminal in the end. Um, and so for some people who are under duress anyway, because of the stresses of COVID and, you know, um, all the things that come with that, that has created an atmosphere where sometimes, you know, you go home at the end of the day and you're like, I just couldn't do anything right. Like I couldn't make anybody happy today. Yeah. Um, I don't think that they want to be that way. I th simply think that everyone is emotionally, physically, financially overwhelmed. Yeah. I think this six months has probably been the hardest six months of my career as a cardiologist, just because wow. we're, we're also very busy and we're working, you know, on COVID staff because we have to keep our social distancing. And, um, but it doesn't make me like my job any less. It's just been a different, you know, total change in the way that I'm used to practicing for the last five years. So, yeah. and I think it's hard to give terminal news over the phone, mm -hmm. right? Like face to face, I can, you know, hug you, hold your hand, you know, whatever I feel like you're comfortable with, you know, you can see in my face that I'm empathetic to what is happening to you and over the phone, that's such a hard thing to do. Yeah. You know? And so that's, I think that's been difficult. So how do you, I mean, there's a lot you can show with empathy through words. How, how do you do that? Like, what are some things that you say to make sure that that still, that still comes across? Yeah. So I always, you know, start by letting them know how much I like their pets. So that's the first thing I say when I get on the phone with the owner, like, you know, Fluffy, even if Fluffy was a little naughty on the table, <laughs> we'll call it spirited, right? Or sassy. Like uh, one of our clients just wrote a review actually, which was really nice of her, but she thought it was so amazing that I called her cat sassy because her kitty is sassy. <laughs> like if I had come out and said your cat was perfect, she would have known I was lying because he's yeah. just a kitty, but I love him. He's one of my favorites. Um, so, you know, just telling them, hey, your pet was fun for me. Like, I loved having them here, um, you know, gave them cookies or, you know, whatever. And then, you know, as the news comes out and I can tell they're starting to feel overwhelmed, I'll always stop and be like, I understand this is completely overwhelming for you right now. Um, you know, we can pause and I, I can answer any questions you might have at, at this moment. Um, 
you know, if you need a minute, if you want to call me back, these are all things that we're here for you. And then at the end, you know, when they kind of get themselves together and they're like, no, I'll, I'll go through it. You know, I'm always like, I completely understand how hard this is to hear. You know, I've had pets with heart disease. I know it's also overwhelming. You're not with me in the building. You haven't been able to see the pictures, but if you get home and you have questions or concerns, or you want to talk about anything, call us. We're here for you. So we try to, you know, we try to let them know we're here to the best of our ability. And, you know, I would say that's very great bedside manner. Would you say that's something that you learned in veterinary school or is that more of your personality of having to acquire this is the best way to speak with a pet owner um do you think it's a mix yeah you know i think that overall in general veterinarians are an empathetic group of people so i think Mm -hmm. there's some of that that comes from veterinary school because your professors are empathetic right that's why they do it That's why they're there. So there's some degree of empathy when you're listening to them go through something with a client as a student that you take away. So those little bits that you like. I don't know that it was actually taught. I don't know if you can teach bedside manner, right? (laughs) I think it's something you kind of come through. Um, And some people are more comfortable with emotion than others, right? So natural Mm -hmm. bedside manner is hard for some people because they're just not, they hold it in to protect themselves, which I 100% understand. If you're giving bad news all day, you have to find that barrier, right? Mm -hmm. Where I'm not taking every patient that I'm going to, that's going to die in a year home with me every day. Um, So I think it's come with time, but I definitely think it was something that, you know, your professors instill in you by just kind of watching. Yeah. Taking away the little bits over time. Yeah. Yeah. It's just something interesting to think about. I remember um, I had a neurologist and he was like one of the best. Um, I don't know if in like St. Louis or in the country, mm-hmm. um, but his bedside manner was pretty um, like robotic, I would say. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he was doing the best job. He was a great doctor, but I never felt like, oh, he's really warm, but I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's just interesting when you don't really receive that warmth from a doctor. I think it makes so much sense to have that because it's someone who's like caring, taking care of your body or the, you know, a pet's body. So I think that's so invaluable to have that bedside manner. Yeah. I mean, I think especially in what we do, right. Cause people are exceedingly attached to their pets, which mm-hmm. is great, right. They're part of, they truly are, you know, for some people it's all they have left of, you know, a loved one or a relative um, or that dog or cat came to them at a particularly difficult time in their lives. And so it's always a reminder. Um, Sometimes that puts undue pressure on us because we're like, we're not going to save it. Like, I know you want it to live forever, but it's not going to make it that way. Um, But if you provide that bedside manner, it helps them, I think, to sort of be like, okay, this is really going to happen and we can do it. We can get through this together. And so I do think it's really important. Yeah. And that makes me think, you know, if this is a person that the only being that they really have is a pet during COVID, that is just even more crucial because um, I think loneliness and depression has been something that's been happening during COVID. So I feel like the stakes are even higher. Yeah. And I think that speaks kind of to what we're, what we were talking about earlier when you asked about my bad days. You know, I think that's another reason that, you know, some people are particularly touchy right now because mm-hmm. I am giving you bad news about 
maybe the thing that's gotten you through the last six months. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I get it. You know, we try not to judge people for the way they feel. You know, we always ask for understanding on our part because we, you know, but we understand that there are times you just can't reach that deep. So. Yeah. Yeah. The bad days, you know, when you go home, how do you recharge? Um, what sort of techniques do you have? Yeah, that's a great question as well, because I've got two little ones. And so (laughs) I almost come home and give more, right? So during COVID, it's been hard because normally, you know, I'd strap on running shoes and I'd go running. We're working a little bit later hours now just because we've been busier. And so it's harder, you know, you want to come home and take off your clothes and wash them and get in the shower and, you know, kind of de-COVID yourself from Mm -hmm. the hospital. Um, And then my kids kind of come in. So, but I'm an avid runner. I do yoga. I read. And sometimes it's just me sitting and reading to the kids because mm. one of my kids is a particular talker. And <laughs> so, and I'm an introvert by nature. I am a natural introvert and he's an wow. extrovert. He's a taker. So he sort of takes from my kind of introvert bank. Um, so sometimes I'm like, you know what, let's just read this book. Cause I know I get 20 minutes of quiet from doing yeah. that. Oh, um, wow. So COVID's been harder to recharge just because they can't go outside. They can't go to the park and hang out with their buddies while Mm -hmm. I, you know, do laps around the park. And um, so it's been harder to recharge, but my husband's extremely supportive and wonderful. Um, And, you know, my kids are as crazy as they could make me. They are, you know, every day I look at them and I say, we're very lucky, very lucky that we still have work. And we're very lucky that, you know, we can safely school and we're all healthy. And so I have to try to remember that at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was thinking about how you said you're introverted and, you know, when I think of that term, it's like, where do you get your energy? And it's, you know, inward when you do have that time to yourself, that just seems so challenging when that time is just not too much. Um, Mm -hmm. So you probably like savor those moments. So, you know, trying to get the kids in bed as early as possible, which never happens. Invariably, they're like falling asleep when I'm nodding off. Um, you know, even if I get 30 minutes to read my, my book alone at night once they're asleep, that's something that I can try to use to recharge. Um, but it is. I work in an extroverted job, right? So being a veterinarian is an extroverted job. And then I come home to two extroverted kids. Um, my husband, luckily, is an introvert. So he also <laughs> understands that sometimes I just need everyone to... Like walk away. Yeah. Um, so it, it is harder though. It is harder when you can't just be like, okay, you're going to go and hang out with a neighbor right now. Um, so it's been harder in COVID for sure. Yeah. And so you mentioned books. I love reading. So I'm just curious, what are some of the books you read to your children? And then what are some, what's the book you're reading now? Yeah. So what I read to my kids will depend on what they choose. But right now my seven-year-old is reading the Land of Stories series. I think it's by Chris Coulter. Um, And actually they're quite interesting. So I enjoy reading them. They're kind of like (laughs) sci-fi, which is my thing. (laughs) So I like that. That's fun for me. Um, And then my little one will choose whatever book is around the house. And then we'll read that for like 12 nights in a row. And I'll finally convince him to go get another one. So we'll do kind of whatever's available. Um, right now, I think we're reading a book called Truck Stop, which is, okay. Uh, yes. And then I am reading a book called They're There. Um, I don't know if you've read it. Um, no, I haven't. But I can't, oh, the author, Tony Youngblood, I believe. Um, I'm going to look it up because it was a Pulitzer Prize finalist book. 
it's amazing. I'm only like five chapters in because I get to read like so little, yeah. um, but I would highly recommend it um, by Tommy Orange. Um, okay. It's great. It's a great book. And, and what's it about? Um, so he's a Native American um, and he is looking at the stories of, I believe it's eight separate Native Americans and how they're adjusting to life in the cities. Oh, so wow. particularly Oakland, California, um, which is where he, he's from. And so it kind of follows, you know, Native Americans who have substance abuse issues. And then mm -hmm. it follows those that, you know, are really into preserving the culture and then follows some of those who are kind of branching out and doing, you know, arts and things like that. And so I haven't gotten to the end, but it sort of looks at how they're surviving the move from, you know, what would be their natural um, inclination to the cities. So it's really, yeah. yeah, it's great. That is interesting. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to share about your career, about pets who experience cardiac issues or this time during COVID? Yeah. You know, I think I'm very lucky to work for CBCA. So we have kind of a unique situation. So even though on a day-to-day -day basis, we're by ourselves, right? We're a sole cardiologist in our office. Um, there are 19 other people who, if I get a case where I'm like, what might this be? Like, what exactly is happening? I can put all those images in a Dropbox and send an email to 19 cardiologists and be like, hey, can you guys put an eye on this um, and give me your input? So as a group, we have vastly different um, you know, backgrounds. So we were trained differently. Some people were trained by CBCA and then stayed. And then, you know, some of us came from other locations or other places with different training. And so it's cool to get that input. Mm -hmm. You know, those cases are few and far between that are just so off the wall that you're like, I have no idea what this is, but it's great to be able to have that network of people to help you. Um, it's good for the client and it's good for us to be like, what could this be? Um, so that's, that's pretty cool um, about my particular job. Um, you know, and I think patients with heart disease, I, the one thing I want people to remember is it's not a, always a death sentence, right, right away. And even for many years. Um, so I think a lot of people get, you know, they hear a murmur and they're like, oh, you know, this is bad or, you know, this is really terrible, particularly if the murmur is very loud. Sometimes mm. the loudness of the murmur, when I get to them, they don't have bad heart disease. It just so happens that the, the way the blood is flowing is in such a way that it creates a really loud noise to our ear. So sometimes the smallest BSDs make the loudest noise. Actually, always the smallest BSDs make the loudest noise. Um, so, you know, it's all about pressure and how that blood is moving. So I just don't want people to get discouraged when they hear that loud murmur. And, you know, a lot of owners get discouraged. I think a lot of um, veterinarians get discouraged when they hear that and they're worried that this isn't going to go well. It's always reasonable to look at that because sometimes I'll be like, oh, it's a, you know, early degenerative valve disease just happens to hit the wall at the right place. And, you know, we'll, we'll go a year and we won't see you again. And um, so don't get discouraged by the loudness of the murmur. It's always good to look into it because sometimes we have good news to offer. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's not always bad news. That was Dr. Sarah Bordelon discussing why she chose to be a veterinary cardiologist, a niche field in the profession the similarities of treating animals and humans with heart conditions, and the importance of early referrals. She also mentioned the positive outcomes of board-certified veterinary cardiologists and primary care veterinarians working together to treat a dog. 
According to a study published in the Journal of the American Veterinary Medical Association in 2016, patients with congestive heart failure live 75% longer when they're co-managed. This also resulted in increased revenue for primary care veterinarians. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Bordelon, veterinary cardiology, and CVCA cardiac care for pets, visit the link provided in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, we would love to hear from you. Write a review on Apple Podcasts. We set a goal of getting 30 reviews. We love reading them, and if you have a minute to spare, we would love to read yours too. I may give you a shout out on the next episode. And thank you for tuning in to Veterinary Vitals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein from TVMA. Thank you.